Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. So as you can all see, <clears throat> I'm not too small, quite tall. Uh, we were actually talking about this a lot, me and Phil, but yeah, I'm quite tall. Uh, I'm about six foot three. Uh, I mean, if you're listening on the podcast, I'm about seven foot five. Um, <laughs> but uh, my dad, he's even taller than I am. Uh, and so from a young age, it was always been a goal, as I'm sure most guys who think, oh, you know what, I want to be taller than my dad. I'd always wanted to be taller than my dad. Sadly, that's uh, a life goal that yet I have yet to accomplish. Uh, and I'm, I'm almost 22 now, so the chance of me keeping growing uh, is, is getting slimmer by the year. But, you know, you can dream. You can dream. <laughs> He'll start shrinking, yeah, exactly. exactly. That's what I'm hoping, anyway. Uh, however, I do have a twin sister. Uh, and you might not think it from her being quite small now, but there was a brief time uh, where she was actually taller than me. Um, yeah. And so even though my dad was always the standard of height which I was trying to beat, I was like, right, I've got to get taller than... He's not quite that tall. But, like, you know, I was always like, right, dad is the standard. I've got to be taller than him. There was one brief period of time where I was like, actually, Rebecca now is my standard. I've got to get back to being taller than her. Otherwise, how can I, how can I lift my head proudly saying that my <laughs> sister is taller than I am? Um, so, yeah. So even though I was temporarily aiming for Rebecca, the standard of height was always my dad. He was the standard which I measured myself against. Uh, we also did the thing which I'm sure most people did of like, you know, where you draw your lines on the wall where you're going each year or month or week or whatever. And sometimes it'd be like, oh, this week I've grown, you know, a couple of millimetres. That's, that's wonderful, but I'm still a foot away from dad. That's the standard I'm going for. So that's not quite so good. I've still fallen short of that standard. Um, funnily enough, uh, one, one year I actually dropped an inch. I, I lost an inch of height. Uh, which was pretty gutting, really. I'd, I was so close, and then we realised Mum had been measuring me skewedly for the past year, uh, and it's taken me the last three years to get that inch back. So, I, you know, I was pretty, pretty, you know, I was, that was pretty gutting, really. Um, but yes, I was always comparing myself to the standard, which was Dad. Um, and when Dad, who will tell you, is tall, and he'll tell you that I'm small, uh, I fall short, pun intended, of the standard, and <laughs> and. When you look, if you're tall, and you look down on people who are smaller than you, everybody above, below a certain thing all seems the same kind of height, like you can't really tell. And the, I, that's not, I'm generally being truthful, that's not, that's not a funny joke. Um, and same if you're small and you're looking up, like some, above a point, because of perspective, everybody looks the same. Like if you're an absolute giant, everybody who's small looks the same. Like, you know, a giant doesn't go, ooh, that ant there's an inch and a half, whereas that small one there's an inch. It just, they're all ants. So when it's a long way away from the standard, you just miss the standard. So why am I talking about height and standards? Is it because I'm obsessed with my height and standards? Maybe. Is it because I audited last summer and really liked comparing stuff to standards? Yes. But that's not why. Today I'm going to talk to you guys about the holiness of God and how that's a standard in our lives. There you go. See how I link that in? Boom. Okay, so... uh, First off, I'll, I'll read uh, Isaiah 6, 1-8, which is the passage we're going to go through today. Uh, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Okay, so that's the verse we're going to go chapter bit this morning. Uh, okay, so briefly, uh, who's Isaiah? Well, uh, we talked a lot about it. Well, we talked. Uh, Andy talked a little bit last week. Uh, so Isaiah was a prophet and a guy who was communicating a lot with the kings of Judah uh, around the kind of time where he wrote this book here. Uh, and interestingly enough, Isaiah, uh, the name Isaiah means the salvation of the Lord or the Lord is salvation. Uh, so if you only remember one thing from my entire preach today, remember that Isaiah means the Lord is our salvation. Then forget that it means Isaiah and just remember the Lord is our salvation because that's pretty much the crux of basically every preach ever. Um, so just remember that and you'll be grand. Um, okay, so Uzziah, he was just one of the kings uh, who just bit the dust just before this passage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the seraphim, what are they? They're, kind of, they're, they're angels uh, with, as we see here, uh, three sets of wings which they're covering themselves and also flying. Um, so yeah. So firstly then, God's holiness. Okay, so just a quick disclaimer. Uh, I'm not going to be able to tell you how holy God is because it's impossible. We can't comprehend just how big he is. Um, so don't expect me to quantify it. And you go with like, ah, God's holiness is in fact 65 or something like that. No, no. <laughs> I, I can't qu- quantify how holy God is. He's just very, very holy. Um, so yeah, the word holiness is defined by strong as set apart, sacred, clean, and morally pure. Um, so first of all, God is set apart. He's set apart from sin. But not only does God not sin he also can't sin because it's against his character and we know that God's character is unchanging so he will never ever sin because he is holy therefore he is a massive holy level he is a standard of holiness by which the earth is judged if you want to look and say oh how holy is something or how how white is a piece of paper you're going to look at the whitest piece of paper in the world and then everything else is going to be oh this is a slight shade off that piece of paper so God is the whitest piece of paper Uh, he is the holiest of holies and everything else including us the earth are judged based on God's holy standard but more about that later God's holiness is immense and it is great Uh, and what's wonderful about it is we know that he's holy and therefore he's moral he's pure and he won't sin so therefore he won't lie so when it says that God loves us it means that forever and all eternity God loves us which is pretty great right imagine if your friend's like I love you mate and it's like that's great but do you love me forever and ever because God does you know how wonderful is that how wonderful is that well we need friends as well obviously but you know God loves us infinitely because of his holiness Uh, so i'll read what verses one to four again quickly i saw the lord high and exalted seated on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple above him were seraphim each with six wings with two wings they covered their faces with two they covered their feet and with two they were flying and they were calling to one another holy 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 is the lord almighty the whole earth is full of his glory at the sound of their voices the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke so doors are literally shaking here because of how much holiness the angels are declaring over God. And another spoiler is they're actually not declaring enough holiness because, once again, we can't quantify how holy God is. Therefore, shaking doors and buildings does still not do justice to how holy God is. So that's, that's, that's incredibly holy. Um, yeah, and also, apparently, 
I'm not a linguist, so I did look this up. Uh, in, in Hebrew, when you say a word three times, it has more significance than just accidentally saying the same word three times. Um, so if you say we're writing an essay in like size 12 font, this is like saying the word holy in size 24 with bold and like 12 exclamation marks. Not only is it, wow, it's holy, it's also describing just how holy it is. Like it's not just everyone needs to know about how holy God is. That's one part of it. But the other bit is the actual holiness is insane. Um, so it's a superlative or something like that. That word just popped in my head. I didn't write down my notes. So it could be wrong. I am no English person. No, I'm an English... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the seraphim here, angels as well, they're covering themselves with their wings. They're covering their face and somewhere else. Uh, their feet, that's it. Because of how holy God is. And even angels don't feel that they're worthy to be uncovered before God's pure holiness. That's, again, insanely holy. In the Old Testament, there's another time when someone's in God's presence too. And again, there's some covering that goes on there. Moses on Mount Sinai. Uh, I'll just quickly read. Exodus 33, 18 to 22. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. So look here, this is another time when someone's in the presence of God. They see the holiness of God. And Moses just sees a slight glimpse when he's covered by God's hand because he can't be in, fully in God's presence because of the holiness. And Moses, it says in a few, Moses' face literally glowed just from seeing a bit of God. That's quite a lot of holiness. I've never been in someone who, and none of you guys have been in my face's glow, so, you know, there's such, such holiness and such reverent awe that we can have from how holy God actually is. God's holiness is, is, is awesome. It is powerful, it is perfect, it is pure, and it is set apart. What does that make us then? If, if God is this ultimately holy being, what does that make us who, well, we're not God, right? So humanity's holiness, or maybe humanity's unholiness, so if God is holiness, he is a very high standard of holiness. If we go back to the height analogy then, uh, if I'm measuring myself up against God's holiness, I can barely even see past his shoelaces. He's just that, that tall in terms of the disparity. Uh, there is a massive gap between God's holiness and our holiness. In fact, so much in fact that nothing we can do can make us get more holy. Um, like the ant, if the ant grows another inch, the person doesn't go wow, that, that ant's getting taller. You just don't know. It's, it's in, there's such a big gap in our holiness between the two of us. Sometimes I do forget this, though, I'll be honest with you, and sometimes I'm like, ooh, you know what? I felt really holy today. Like, I read my Bible twice today. <laughs> or like, you know what? A friend says, like, oh, I'm struggling with this, and I'm like, I'll pray for you. And I'm like, yes. That's holy points right there. I, I'm pretty sure I've done what Christians should do to become more holy, right? Um, but then I'm like, actually, I don't, that's not a good way to think because we don't get holy by doing what we think are holy acts. Uh, I like to read Isaiah 64.6 to uh, uh, make me not get too big for my boots. Isaiah 64.6. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind our sins sweep us away. I'll read that again. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind our sins sweep us away. So this definitely brings me down a peg or two, because I'm like, oh yeah, right, I see. Uh, so, like, our righteous acts are like filthy rags, so it turns out that actually I can't become more holy by just praying a little bit more 
or saying my thys and these nows properly. Um, and the, the, our sweetest prayer, our kindest gesture, our most righteous act in our mind doesn't make us more holy. So, okay, well, we can't work our way to being holy. Well, what does that mean then, if we're not holy? Well, when we read in earlier with, with Moses in verse 20, no one may see me and live. Well, that isn't because God wants to kill us. That's just because God is so ultimately holy and we are so unholy. The disparity between the holiness just means that we can't survive in such awesome holiness. But also this is, is wonderful because when we do meet with God through Jesus, we are able to glimpse his holiness and it highlights the true disparity between us. Right? Like if you, you're in a room and you're like, oh, you're just chilling out, it's getting a bit dark, but you don't really notice it because you're doing something else. And someone switches the light on and you're like, oh, it was actually quite dark in here, I didn't realise. When someone shines the light, when, we have a, when we're meeting with God, suddenly that's like a light shining and we're like, oh yeah, we're not holy at all. We, we actually do really need God because we're actually not as holy as we think we are. We're actually not holy by what we're doing. And so that's wonderful because we, we can kill ourselves, right? Like, if I surrounded myself with small people, I might be thinking, oh, yes, look at me, I'm so tall. But then suddenly you come face to face or face to chin with my dad, and I'm like, actually, I'm not so tall at all. I'm just kidding myself. And it's like that when we're with God, which is wonderful because it's not like we feel inadequate, but we can feel, oh, hang on a sec, there's a reason why you're God, and I'm definitely not God, and there's a reason why I need you more because I want to be more like you rather than, oh, man, I, oops, yeah, I'm not holy at all. It's wonderful because it's like, you know what, I'm not holy. I need to be looking at you, working towards you, having a relationship with you, which is great. And that's what being a Christian means, really. Like, we're transformed like God. In, yeah, like God. Because the more we realise that we're lacking in our holiness, the more we realise we need God, right? We need God, and that's, that's a wonderful place to be. As humans, we're lacking. You know, there's no way... You can't, don't have to convince someone that humans are a bit, you know, sinful and, and dodgy. Look at the world. There's so many bad things that go on that humans just... Yeah, we're definitely not holy. It reminds me of this uh, one story which is either true or is something that's not true but is a story used that's going to illustrate this point perfectly. So for the case of this, it's a nice story. There you go. King Frederick II, uh, 18th century king in Prussia. Okay? Uh, he was visiting a jail in Berlin uh, and as you might imagine, if a king walks into a jail, everyone sudden, all the prisoners rush to him and they're like, Sir, you know, pardon me, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. He framed me, I didn't do it. Every single person in the prison, by one, crawled over, you know, went over to him and was like, Please forgive me, I'm innocent except this one man who sat in the corner with his head bowed, arms crossed. So the king, intrigued, goes over and says, what are you in here for? And the man says, armed robbery, your majesty. Uh, and the king says, well, are you guilty? And the man says, yes, sir, I deserve this punishment. So then the king looks at the guard and says, in that case, set this guilty man free. I don't want him corrupting all these innocent people. <laughs> and... I mean, I don't know whether it's true or not. I'm not sure I'd want people being forgiven just because they're guilty, you know, think they're guilty. But it wonderfully illustrates what I was trying to say in terms of once we realise that we're guilty, once we realise that we're not holy by ourselves, we then know something's got to change. It's not by our own power that we can do this thing. And once we realise that we're, as people, we're automatically just not holy, we're sinful beings, that we then need God to help us be more holy, which is great because then your relationship strengthened because you know, actually, I need to really lean and rely more on God. Funnily enough, me and my housemate, we were, we were actually talking about, about uh, this kind of stuff the other day. We'd listened to a, uh, a great preach with a guy who'd you know, gone through some really, really bad stuff, like being in a really dark place, but then you know, flipped life upside down when he met Jesus and Je was like, actually, and this guy was super outgoing and all about the gospel because he knew just how much Jesus had done for him because he was in a really, really bad place. 
that everyone would say, oh, yeah, that's a really bad place. And then now he knows Jesus, and therefore he's like, I'm in a great place now because I'm with Jesus. And me and my housemate were discussing because we were like, sometimes, do you ever get that feeling where actually there's a bit of sad me where I actually kind of wish something really bad had happened to me so that I can then have a great testimony of like, oh, you know what? I know without a doubt how much I need Jesus because this really bad thing happened and I knew Jesus was in it. But then we were thinking, and it's like, well, actually, that's a little nonsense because as we're saying here, we are unholy. There is nothing that can make us more holy. Therefore, even if we think we've lived a really great life and, you know what, I've never killed someone, therefore, why do I need Jesus? I'm just getting along in life. I'm okay. I'm middle class. Everything's great. But that actually isn't true. That's not, everything is not great. We're all unholy anyway. And therefore, actually, we all really, really need Jesus. And we were like, actually, all of our stuff is like dirty rags anyway. We're all in need of a saviour. And we can only find that salvation in, the, in Jesus anyway. And we were like, you know what? Yeah, that's actually liberating. We're like, we'll check our attitude, actually. We're happy. We don't need bad things to happen. We just know that actually being humans and being unholy is the bad enough thing already. And actually, we need God and we're so lacking without him. And we were like, yeah. So yeah, we need, we need Jesus. We need, we need something to... Well, we need to adjust our attitudes so that we know how much holy God is, how much more holy God is compared to us. And then another thing I was thinking, I was, I was really challenged right this preach, to be fair. Uh, I was like, because at the start I was like, holiness, what's that? And then I was like, oh, right, that's what holiness is. Oh, boy. Um, I also think, like, the Pharisees, they hated Jesus because they thought they were already holy. Because they were like, well, why do we need Jesus? We're already good with God. We pray. We read the Bible. We, do, we don't break the law. And I'm thinking, those are three things sometimes I think that I'm doing well. And therefore that makes me a good Christian. I'm like, oh, oh boy. Like, that's not, oh, no. And then, and then you start to think, and it's like, well, actually, am I a Pharisee sometimes? And I think, yeah, because sometimes I think, actually, I'm already okay. And I'm like, nah, no, 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 no. I'm never okay. Humans, we are not holy. We can't be in a relationship with God just by ourselves. It doesn't work like that. We need something else. And I think we've got to stop deluding ourselves. Or you guys might be okay, but I've got to stop deluding myself that I'm actually holy. And I, I'm like, you know what? Me and God are pals. We're about equal. No, 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 no. God is so holy and we are so unholy that without something happening, we can never have a relationship because there's too much holiness difference between us. There's a disparity there. So I personally, and maybe you guys too, got to stop deluding myself and be like, right, I'm not holy. God, you're really holy. I want to have a relationship with you. But then what happens? What do we have that bridges that gap? We need to be more like Isaiah in verse 5. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He acknowledges here that he's unclean and that everybody he lives with is unclean. He's not trying to kid himself that, yeah, I'm a prophet, I'm pretty good. No, he, he acknowledges that he needs something to happen. And then he's able to say, I've seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When we acknowledge that we are lacking, then we can be given the chance to see the King, the Lord Almighty. And that's when, like we said earlier, Isaiah's name, the Lord is our salvation. That suddenly then comes straight to home as, well, what do we do? Well, we can know that the Lord is our salvation. Uh, Jesus then is that solution. Jesus is what bridges the gap between a holy God and an unholy people. Verse 6 to 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongues from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Well, what is this, in this vision, what is the coal representative of then that that touches his lips? Well, the coal is Jesus. 
Uh, the coal is Jesus. Jesus who seals over uh, and cauterizes our sin. He, our unholiness before God is removed by what Jesus did for us, which is wonderful because, as we said, we're all sinful, we're all unholy. We all have so much that needs to be forgiven and that needs to be removed before God. But that's wonderful because, as we see here, the coal represents Jesus and Jesus does that. So we had, a, we had an impossible relationship with God, which just can't happen. We're not holy. God is holy. But now that impossible relationship is made possible by Jesus. In the Old Testament, the way the Israelites had to atone for their sin uh, so that they could be near God was uh, a sacrifice of, of an animal, right? By blood, by sinless blood, because I guess animals can't sin, I think. Yeah, sure. Uh, by, by blood, then, they could come near and slightly bridge the gap between them and God. And then they could meet, like, once a year or whatever. The highest of priests could meet with them once a year. But that's if you have sinless animal blood. But we have something far, far better. We have the sinless son of God's blood for us. And the sacrifice that Jesus made for us means that he covers us with a cloak of his own blood that he sacrificed for us. He who lived a sinless life, even though, which I sometimes forget, even though he was tempted with just as much as we are, that he still didn't bow to sin, he still stayed upright and holy, that then his sacrifice means that we can be made holy by Jesus. So all we got to do is accept Jesus and then we become holy. So then we can have the relationship with the holy God because we can be in communion, uh, in contact with him because uh, we're wearing the cloak of Jesus' holiness. Therefore, God looks at us and says, yeah, you're holy, welcome to the family almost which is, is wonderful. And I think sometimes, again, I, I do forget this kind of stuff because I'm just like, yeah, Jesus sacrificed himself for me. That's great. But I'm like, but I haven't... Uh, I'll go with the killing someone again because I haven't killed anyone. Uh, <laughs> that was the wrong time to take a sniff. I'm sorry. I've, I've got a cold. I haven't actually killed anybody. Um, so when... Uh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> and when... Sometimes I'm like, you know what? I, I haven't done... I don't know particularly... I've not done really stuff that I feel is hugely terrible in terms of the world's eyes. But then when I think about it, I am so unholy that it just wouldn't ever work. I couldn't ever get to meet this God. And then Jesus comes along and says, I'll sacrifice myself for you. Come and meet God. And that's wonderful. We can have an impossible relationship made possible by Jesus' sacrifice, by Jesus' blood. And it's more too than just, he doesn't just cover up our sins and be like, let's push them under the carpet and pretend I'm not there. No, he atones for them, which means... Well, he atones for them, which was, was what I read in the... In the uh, yeah, taken away and your sin atoned for, which is great because atoned for kind of... It more means that they're not there anymore. So it's not that, oh, yeah, we're just going to pretend they don't exist. No, they're gone. Jesus has made, them, made that right. There's been a price paid for that unholiness, for that sin, which now means that we can be with a holy God, which is wonderful. Jesus' sacrifice made the impossible relationship become possible. Uh, it says in, in 1 John 2 verse 2, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. The actions of Jesus in the, at the cross were almost like bridging the void between the unholy people and a God of ultimate holiness. God is ultimately holy. We are unholy. Jesus brings us together so we can have a relationship with him. It's like, I'm sure you've all seen some kind of a graphic where there's two mountaintops, and between the mountaintops there's a big valley. And on one mountaintop is us, a sinful people, unholy. Another is God, ultimately holy. And the middle of the valley is sin. And basically we can't get across, because how do you get across from one mountaintop to another? You, we, you, can't, you can't run and jump. It's, it's a mountain, you can't get across. And then Jesus comes along and sacrifices himself on the cross that we may then bridge the gap between the two peaks so we can just walk across, become holy by Jesus, and then have a relationship with the living God, which is frankly astonishing. Um, and yeah it's just incredible 
Jesus was the solution and is the solution to the problem of our unholiness. Here we see uh, earlier from Isaiah's own name, the Lord is our salvation. I told you it was going to be key. Jesus, the Lord, is our salvation. In verse 8 then, what, what do we do after this? Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Once we've accepted Jesus into our lives, we've been transformed and are being transformed by Jesus' actions on the cross. God can then use us to share this wonderful, and it is really wonderful news, that Jesus came for us and now we can have a relationship with the Holy God, which is the best relationship we will ever have with anything ever. And it's wonderful, and the good news deserves to be shared, needs to be shared. So let our answer to that question be, here I am, send me. Uh, similarly, in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, uh, the Great Commission. Uh, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Now this is the Great Commission, which follows on similarly to what Isaiah's command was, to go. And we need to say, yep, yeah, here I am, send me. And that, that can sound quite daunting, right? Because we're like, well, we're just, as we've realised, we're unholy and sinful, but we're made holy by Jesus. And also, what my favourite bit out of the Great Commission, to be fair, I'm not sure if it should be, but the very last line, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It doesn't mean we've got to go and by our own strength or works try and do anything. No, but I am with you always to the very end of the age. How wonderful is that, that Jesus is there with us always to the very end of the age. And we ain't going to live past the end of whatever age that is. So Jesus is with us always, right, forever and ever. Uh, and that is wonderful. Uh, and that means that we can have a relationship with the holy God, even though he is ultimately holy, and we now are also holy by what Jesus has done for us.